Welcome to the Mega Blast Podcast. I'm your host, Jason McDonald. My goal is to get to the truth through conversation. The Mega Blast Podcast is produced by Arts and Opinion, an online journal housed at the Archives of Canada. Visit us at artsandopinion.com. I hope you enjoy today's guest. So, uh, welcome back, Liz Hodgson. How you doing? I'm excellent, thanks, Jason. How are you? I'm fantastic. As I was just saying to you off off microphone, just I, I'm so happy to be alive. I can't tell you how great my life is. You know, honestly, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's because my mom died last year. I don't know if I, I think I told you that. And I then, remember. I think it colored the whole year. At the end of last year, I started to feel so good. Yeah, about just you know, when Christmas was coming and then, and then I went to the Dominican Republic. And then when I got back from the Dominican Republic, I had this incredible thing happen to me, this person come, you know, and everything. Um, just all these things sort of, and I, I'm, I was on the plane flying to the Dominican Republic and I was looking out at the snow and I was seeing the oratories we were taking off. And have you ever heard that Louis CK routine about air travel? Mm-hmm. about how like people should just be crying with screaming with joy when that I was I started to cry I was like this is and I'm having all these experiences like this these days just because life is so amazing really for all the suffering and problems and, right you're euphoric yeah well, well yeah I guess so and so just to answer your question you know life is life is great you know I, I could almost not ask to have a better life that is fantastic. So what about you? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear the story of suffering, man. <laughs> now that we wrote the euphoria. <laughs> it's always good to remember that uh, there is an uh, extraordinary amount of suffering in the world. That's true. But That's true. Yeah. Uh, you or me or anybody uh, is not... How do, wait, let me see if I can get this straight. Um, our suffering doesn't alleviate anybody else's suffering. Mm -hmm. So you might as well be happy. And I always felt like happiness was a choice. It's interesting how, you know, life is made up of a lot of suffering and I'm suffering a lot for different reasons as well. I mean, there's different things about my life that are, um, well, my mom dying last year, there's, you know, there's some suffering, right? Okay. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, for all the suffering, there's also these amazing things. Life is filled with all these moments. You know, when I was down in the DR and I was hanging out with all these wonderful people and my family down there and stuff. And like, you know, my father, he's still with us and everything. And we hang out together a lot and stuff. And I don't know, it's just, there's all these things and just things that we're doing that bring us joy, you know, that are so amazing. And uh, yeah, so I think people should be more, like, I know I, I shouldn't tell other people what to do, but for myself, I need to be more, just recognize how amazing my life is and how amazing life is, generally speaking, right? Uh, yeah, so I would just personally like to tell people what to do. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's what alleviates your suffering, is ordering other people around. Ordering other people around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a good one all right 
So I'm really glad that Liz, you're back on Mega Blast. Um, you've been on a few times, and you're you're one of the most popular guests. I mean, your your podcasts are downloaded in the hundreds at this point, which you know that doesn't sound like much, but for my podcast, that's pretty good, right? So hundreds. I mean, whether it's my bank account or podcast <laughs> downloads, hundreds is good. Yeah. There's other <laughs> other numbers that are also good. But yeah, hundreds, hundreds of fine. Yeah, hundreds of what per year? <laughs> hundreds of yeah. <laughs> okay, she think about it that hundreds way. Hundreds right? of dollars. <laughs> hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds of dollars. Yeah, hundreds of times of doing what? You know, yeah. Okay. Um, so so I just I just wanted to thank you again because you're and people seem to really enjoy a couple of them we put up. I saw comments going around, people go, sounded like they were really enjoying it. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> Maybe Jason, you sound well. you sound uh, very surprised. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah, I know that it looks really bad, right? Like, yeah, like, you people know. really like you. Yeah. I don't get it. It's weird. It's freaking me out. <laughs> Did you ever you ever see Jiminy Glick? Jiminy Glick. He did the interview with Mel Brooks where he did that. You know, you're one of the greatest comedy legends of all time. How did that happen? You know, yeah, like, <laughs> Mel Brooks is like looking at him like, what? You know, that's kind of what you were like a minute ago. Like, you said, because I'm not trying to be like Jiminy Glick, right? But maybe I'm, you know, channeling his. Zach energy. Galifianakis does that on uh, uh, Between, the between Two Ferns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the mean things to his interview subjects and they just play it straight and it's, it's like yeah they're like, looking yeah okay so this brings us you know we we anyone listening to this can go back and listen to our conversation about will smith and uh chris rock we talked a lot about and we also talked about um elon musk and people who hate him and uh how wonderful all that hatred is and how great you know all that is but now we're back to the grammys again uh because you wrote a really amazing column about the the latest grammy awards so the objective of this podcast is to discuss you know what the what the hell's going on with the grammys in the 2020s basically right focusing on the most recent one um i you know my first thing that i would like to ask you about is who's watching these things i mean i, I didn't even know they were on last year i woke up i saw will smith on social media slapping Chris Rock. And I was like, oh, the Grammys are on. And this year, pretty much, I, you know, I looked, I, I, I you know, you sent me this, um, this, uh, you know, this uh, column, this amazing column that, um, what's, by the way, could, could you just say the name of that column about the Oscars? Maybe people could Google it and find it. Yes. So it's the Fashion Brenda, my Substack, you mean? Fashion Brenda, yeah. Yes. And the Oscars one was called, um, uh, oh, man, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Okay, we'll put it in, in the meantime. Notes. Thank you for the plug and thank you for the yeah. nice thoughts about it. But it was it's, funny when you said, you kind of just said a mouthful because the first thing was, the objective of this podcast, discuss the Grammys. And I'm like, and then you go, who's watching it? I'm like, yeah, this, this might be a short podcast <laughs> their cultural significance is so diminished like nobody cares literally nobody cares in fact i worried about that the whole time because you sweat a fair bit over these blogs because 
you want to make them good and you know that people, there's a lot of competition for people's attention. So you want to try and make them stand out, make people laugh and entertain them a bit. And you always think about things like don't offend people. The whole time I had this voice in my head saying, you're writing about something that nobody cares about anymore. Mm. But it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't ultimately about the Grammys. It was it's about, deeper. yeah. It's well, deeper. it was about the yeah. concept of transgressive art and how, uh, how hard it is to be transgressive nowadays because so many of our bourgeois cultural norms have long since been shattered. So you really have to push that envelope and then you have to, be careful and not to live out uh, Gertrude Stein's famous, uh, famous, what was, what, what did she say again? She said, they don't know. Uh, it's like something about going too far. They don't know. They don't know how to not go too far when they're going too far. <laughs> mm. Wow. So, that's, a, that's a very deep concept. So just to be clear, Gertrude Stein, the famous feminist, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. who wrote the it's just one of her maxims that she used a lot and people use it all the time nowadays they always quote it and it's like um okay so in that particular substack it noted how um sam smith in a video that came out prior to the grammys he's it's very body it's very camp He's he's dressed like divine. Does that cultural reference ring any bells? It's sort of like a drag queen, kind of like a fat guy dressed up as a drag queen. <laughs> yeah. kind of like it's and like it's very up. strange. Yeah. And he he gets a golden shower in this at a nightclub. And then uh, he hits the Grammy stage with his um, his collaborator, Kim Petras. And they do this. uh they do this song and dance number, Unholy, and they and it's got a satanic theme to it. And that I think the expectation, they were trying to gin up controversy. It's going to be controversial. We're warning you, you know, brace yourself, get your smelling salts, uh, stand near the divan. You're going to you're going to faint that away with this. And then the reaction was like from some savvier cultural observers who said, Ha ha, look at these guys trying to be so edgy. Satan, give me a break. Um, and and I just thought, considering the guy just did a golden shower in a video, then all he brings to the Grammy stage is Satan. Like, what about a golden shower on the Grammy stage? That would be really transgressive. That would be really they didn't do that. They no, didn't. of yeah. course not. Satan is playing it safe. Satan as a blasphemy against Christianity is an utterly safe bet. You can say anything you want about Christianity. That's interesting. And you'll have a few, you'll have some scattered objections. It, it's you'll be a me. few of the usual suspects who will right. speak up and say, this is really disgusting. But mostly we're going to just shrug, meh, next, whatever, yawn. You know. So so just to be clear, the, the, this golden shower thing that he did, like wh where did he do that? Is that like a video he put up on social media or something? I, I should have clarified. He yeah. simulated a golden shower. Yeah, no, he so, didn't actually yeah. have somebody pee on him for a video. <laughs> you start to get it was not live porn, right? It was no. 
<laughs> you do get an inkling of what he sort of gets up to on the weekends, though. That right, but that was something. I'm just wondering. He put that up on social media on Instagram or something. And that showed... video, yeah. Usual channels, yeah. Usual channels Whatever. of where music videos back in the day it'd be on Much Music or yeah, MTV, MTV or but we don't yeah, have those VH1. anymore. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, so he put that up as a way of kind of, you know, getting his reputation as like a real transgressive guy. You know, he's out there doing strange things. The, the photos I saw, I don't know anything about him, but reading your your um, your blog post was so interesting. And then the pictures of it, I thought, boy, this just looks disgusting. Like it looks like, like I wonder how. I mean, I don't know how graphic we can get in this podcast, but I wonder how many women watch a lot of porn. And they see stuff like that. I mean, that's not necessarily golden showers, but things that people could imagine, you know, of what men are doing to women, you know, in a lot of porn. And they sort of think, and that looks disgusting, right? That are, uh, like, you know, I wonder, like I want, and I sort of wonder my reaction maybe is like a woman's reaction at a lot of male porn, like a lot of like, you know, pornography that some women watch and just think that looks like disgusting. Like that looks like actually makes me feel a little bit sick. Right. <laughs> you know, that must be a lot of women must, must see things like that in porn. And go, you know, I genuinely hope so. Yeah. And, and then I, and that was my reaction to that. That was just a still image on your blog post. And I saw, I just was like, this looks just like, this looks disgusting. Like what, this doesn't look transgressive. It looks disgusting. It looks, but maybe I'm just being a prude. I don't know. Like, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not some sexually, uh, you know, I'm not doing golden showers or anything. I, I you know, <laughs> right. Well, so, it's degradation. Golden showers are degradation, right? As is it's the degrading. other. Right. Okay, so that, yeah. that's, that's partly what I'm, I, I think what I must be getting at with that type of male porn, the kind of things you see in a lot of male, female porn is about degrading women, right? It's very degrading. I would imagine. Right, I yeah. I would imagine. And so it's a similar dynamic there, right? Okay. Um, I, so I, that was my my sort of visceral reaction to that. I thought that doesn't look transgressive. That looks stupid and, and disgusting. And then there's this thing about Satan, like we're going to be do Satan. So what that made me think of was like, we're going to go on stage at the Grammys. And, and you said that Madonna and all the others were like, you know, giving like sort of like warning, trigger warning type things. Right. They were saying like, <laughs> it's going to be really, we're really pushing the envelope this year and all this stuff that you were saying. Right. They, they were, they were kind of priming us. It was, it was really funny about Madonna because She's a real mixed bag. Uh, she's obviously really a, a, a genius businesswoman. Now she's in her 60s. She's definitely not aging gracefully. I think a lot of these super, super rich, super famous people, they lose touch a little bit. And something becomes almost disfigured about them. Mm -hmm. And as mm -hmm. I think it was John Updike who said, fame is the mask that rots the face. <laughs> and so so there, there she is and of course she's been transgressive throughout her career she's pushed the envelope she really she has i mean she's she arrested really in has, toronto yeah yeah, yeah getting arrested book. yeah and there was that whole camille polia thing if you remember camille polia said she's she's sex positive and she's denise denisian and she's 
um, like a Greek goddess and she's like reclaiming sexuality that Madonna held a true mantle femi- for women, feminism for women to now control she- their own sexuality right like be sure. sexual and, and and appealing to men but doing that in their own control like having their own power over that right is that yeah sorry to interrupt yeah. I just wanted to clarify what you no, mean no 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 really important you know and so so now she's she's in her early 60s and um, she's still stuck on this idea, but of course she's stuck on a number of other ideas as well. And then, you know, she's, if, if anything, she's also very corporate. She's, yeah. She has uh, really done well by corporations, big music companies, big media companies. So they're going to, so obviously it's like, okay, let's get Madonna to introduce Sam Smith and we'll say, here's the deal, Madonna. Sam Smith's going to do some wild stuff out here with Kim Petras and there's going to be cages and there's going to be, I guess there were supposed to be strippers and there was a bit of BDSM flavor in there. And Madonna said, okay, I got it. I got it. And then she could find Madonna could find a way to make Madonna the center of it and let everybody know that she's the original envelope pusher. She's the original edgy. The kind of the OG OG edgy. Right. Yeah. And so then she makes this introduction. And it's so obvious that everybody got the memo. There was a memo, it's a communications memo. So there's so many things happening there that just make it that 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 keep eroding commercial music, pop music's authenticity. And one of them is this thing that they call journalism. And that is like (laughs) that one of the great hallmarks of media journalists is that they are very lazy and I can say that firsthand I'm lazy and I worked at a newspaper uh, surrounded by super lazy people and they just like uh like can you just write me a little 200 words on this jazz band and I asked the guy who his whole job at the Vancouver Sun was I just write about jazz and he's like uh I'm kind of busy like put his fishing hat on He's using anyway. Chat GPT right now to write his articles. I can oh, guarantee so you that. Some of, <laughs> yeah. of these retired journalists are furious yeah. that they missed out on that. Yeah. So, so basically, the journalism thing—that was that I didn't. I obviously am not smart enough to coin that term. It was a guy. Can, can you just describe U- what you mean by the journalism thing? Could just okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you are a journalist with a J and as a journalist you receive these press releases you get them like all day every day and it could come from Clairol is sending you a study a study that's been conducted on hair would you care to care to hear about it Miss master's thesis oh, calls you up and says we've just done a study about hair and after a while you go oh like this is just someone's shilling like yeah. So PR, um, they're, they're, they're using journalists, right, in order to get their stuff out into their without having to pay for advertising, right? Yes. Like and that, so what right? happens is, yes, yes, exactly. Right. And what happens is you get some lazy journalists who see a press release. So they take it <laughs> and they churn it into a news story. And that's what this guy called journalism. Oh, so he did. Yeah. He did his own experiment on journalism and it was actually hysterically funny. Like I, I, I ended up doing this story when I was working on Q at CBC radio 
And um, he set himself up as a PR company and he sent out these, these press releases to like the guardian daily mail, all these places. The usual and one of them suspects was, that would gobble, gobble stuff up really easily. Yeah. 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 And without okay. questioning it, without stopping to say, is this true without cross referencing <laughs> sources? So he sent this one out saying panazzling, you know what? Okay. You know what vajazzling is, right? No. Vajazzling is when you, uh, a woman's, a woman, has all these gems put on her lady parts to make it really pretty. Oh, okay. All right. So that was a big trend. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Okay. And then this guy said that the latest trend was pinazzling. <laughs> they do it to guys' penis. <laughs> so this is the thing. So, so, so cock rings and stuff <laughs> like that? Like No, no. It's just like above. Your meat and two veg in that kind of pubis bone area, and they shave it and then they bejewel it. Of course, nobody does this. It was a joke. It was, it was, it, so this is this is the equivalent of James Lindsay uh, scamming all the uh, <laughs> yes, like like yes. basically with the fake papers. <laughs> right? You're basically you're you're gaming the system, getting something published when it's bullshit, kind of right. And then he turns it all around on him on them. So what he did was. He sent out this press release. He gets a call from some woman, a, a quote unquote journalist who calls and says, yeah, I heard I heard about this thing you got going. And then he said that he had it done to himself and that his girlfriend loves it. And it made it like it went as far as India. Like it. it so this, this got world. into the Guardian, got into the Daily Mail, got into like big it newspapers. Did. Any Canadian newspapers? That I'm not really sure, but the yeah. reach was really. But there was another Guardian's one that big. He, Guardian's a big paper. I mean, it's in in the UK, right? I, I mean, know. It's, yeah, not not a good. I didn't say a good paper. I said a big paper. So uh, the funniest, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The funniest one was when he said that there was an invention to stop people from cheating on each other. I think it delivered an electric shock or it caused the person <laughs> to pass out. Which is a chastity belt. Something that's it. It was a modern day electronic chastity belt. And it made the evening news at a local TV station in like Baltimore or something. <laughs> it was really funny. He really got them. I mean, it was it so, was wait, a well, just, just for the record, what is this man's name? I, I'm going to have to dig it up. Somehow yeah. we went down a rabbit hole here. I wasn't. Yeah. Sure. Well, what's this bejazzling? What was? What did you say? There was bejazzling. Bejazzling. He made up penazzling. Penazzling. Okay. So penazzling is to decorate the pubic <laughs> penile area with <laughs> jewels. Yes. And, and and this is completely made up. It's not. It's not a thing. It's Nobody not a does thing. This. Uh, you know. And this guy gamed. He sent it off as press releases. He was able to get these these journalists who didn't have any, uh, you know, uh, they weren't smart or they weren't they weren't conscientious enough to actually go and check it out and find out it was bullshit. They just ran the story because they thought it looked cool, right? Something like that. Yeah, it's funny because I mean, this is a this is a big problem with modern day journalists. It's not digging a little deeper i remember i nearly got hoaxed myself again i was at q and there were these little mini art stories that the monday morning producer was supposed to take a story turn it into a quick script maybe include a little soundbite and this one came to me about that apparently happened in australia 
But I was just missing one line from the story. It had something to do with stolen bicycles. Anyway, I needed one more line for the story. So I started to dig around to try and find where the story was mentioned somewhere else. Because it's always, if, so, if a story is only in one place, yeah, the entire that's, that's internet. That's always a red flag, right? That's not true. I, I, yeah. And then I realized it was a hoax. Well, corroboration by definition is finding the same piece of information from a totally separate source, right? Like if yes. you corroborate, if somebody tells you something, they say, hey, you know, I saw this accident or whatever, and he's the only person who tells you that and swears it happened, then one way to find out if it's true is to call someone else who doesn't know that yeah. person, never, you know, and see if that person can say, you know, find out if it's true, right? Okay. I'm talking so, so journalism 101 here, we got onto this because. We were talking about uh, a you know press release that emanated from the Grammys comms team saying, "Right, right. we've really got to gin this up. We got we got to light some people's hairs on fire. We got to disturb the olds and get them talking." And so let's put a bunch of old people up on a stage like Madonna, who you know you know what I mean. Like it's it's kind of like like what what the oldsters like who are the oldsters now? Madonna's what sixty five. I think like, the idea the idea being that if they start getting threats from the FCC right, or right, if they right. start and and those were the headlines that followed um conservatives and uh cons, what's the word conservatives outraged J. Edgar Hoover, you know uh you know <laughs> J Edgar Hoover appalled by you know the sexual nature of the Grammys kind of thing right you know yeah see cartoon example obviously J. Edgar Hoover has been dead for about 70 years but <laughs> good just, reference right Abraham Lincoln yeah Wait, uh, exactly me. yeah George Washington was appalled when he saw that <laughs> you know, right you know it's kind of like um based on the principle that uh all publicity is good publicity right right but, so they sent this out they tried to gin it up and then they sent out it sounded like from when I read your article that they were trying to sort of give these little sort of like, you know, priming warnings, like this is going to be big, you know, like this is going to be heavy duty. You know, what we're going to do is going to really shock the pants off everybody kind of thing. And then it just, it, it and then they come out, they do this Satan thing. Like they're, they're, you know, they're doing this Satan, yeah. you know, wearing this ridiculous clothing and trying to be, you know, and what struck me is that it makes me think you mentioned this in your article about how it's that these are Gen Xers and, and baby boomers. It made me think of, do you remember the piss Christ thing? You remember the, uh, in the 80s yes. and 90s? Like yes. this this artist, and it was in the United States, in New York somewhere, who I think he was like a Puerto Rican American uh, kind of guy. And he had done all these paintings where he'd taken crucifixes and submerged it in urine yeah. and taken photographs. And there were all these photographs, and there were also photographs of like fisting and stuff. He'd done like all this really heavy, like really shocking stuff. And then it would it caused this whole outrage among the moral majority, fury among all the kind of more conservative Americans who are, you know, Christian, you know, Bible Belt. Well, this is disgusting. They're just just disgracing the religion and all this kind of stuff. And it caused a huge fury in the eighties and nineties. It was a big, huge deal that went on for years, right? So it makes me think these people they were like. It's almost like they wanted to to basically manufacture something like that. That's kind of what I think the model in their mind was that they could get 
you know, all those moral majority people to kind of react, you know, all the people in Oklahoma or whatever. Meanwhile, most of the people in Oklahoma aren't even watching. They don't care. And if, if there's something transgressive, they're not going to care that much anyway. Like if there's some. Yeah, that's why I wonder what, you know, if Sam Smith really wanted to provoke a reaction. What about, you know, having the Islamic prophet get a lap dance on stage? Yeah. See what wow. kind of reaction he would. Wow. That's such such a beautiful point. If you really want to stir the pot, you insult Islam. You don't insult Christianity, right? Or 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 have a strong anti-Semitic message. See what happens. All you have to do is look at Kenya or Yi. Subversive is attacking Islam or Judaism. Subversive isn't attacking Christ. They already submerged a crucifix in urine and. I mean, it's it's old. It's like it's old hat, used to it, and you know that. I mean, look what happened after Ye offended um, Jew- Jewish people with his comments, his despicable yeah, comments, comments about Hitler. Yeah, yeah. Despicable, but just what to be happened? Clear, they are anti-Semitic. His comments are anti-Semitic. Just oh, but, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But what happened very quickly was. Yi's career was pretty much obliterated. But if you insult Christ or blaspheme Christianity or you taunt, provoke, nothing happens to you. Well, what, what you're making me think is, 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 is also that blasphemy has been reanimated in many European countries in the last 20 years via Islam. Blasphemy laws in, in European countries have been actually there have been charges placed uh, in Denmark. There was a case where and in the UK and a few other places where people, you know, there's like someone posts a, a picture of the Prophet Muhammad on social media and the police go using the yeah. old laws from the 19th and 17th, you know, way back when it was illegal to desecrate Christ and Christianity yeah. that no one's even imagined doing those things. No one cares if you put up a picture like, you know, the Charlie Hebdo. They had all yes. this stuff desecrating Christian stuff. Nobody cared. It was when they desecrated the Muslim. So it makes me think that that piss Christ thing, if you want to use modern parlance, was a form of hate speech. No, I'm not endorsing yeah. hate speech, but it was. No, 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 right? no. Of course, I, I, I know, think yeah. hate speech laws are very, they're as dangerous as blas- blasphemy laws, in, in my personal view. But it was a form of hatred towards Christianity in the same way that shoving a picture of the Prophet Muhammad in front of people who find that offensive is hateful to them, right? Yes, it is hateful yes. to Muslims uh, who are yes. very offended by that, the same way that the Christians were offended by the piss Christ thing. And it's intentional. The Charlie Hebdo, they wanted to offend the Christians and the Muslims, and the, right? Yes. And, yet, and yet I never thought of the piss Christ thing as a form of hate speech. Mm-hmm. I always thought of it as freedom and art and, uh, you know, um, and I don't know that I, I should, I don't think any of it should be considered hate speech in my view. Um, That's freedom of speech. I'm a free speech absolutist. Me too. (laughs) So that was something that really. Oh, one thing that did kind of make me laugh that actually really made me laugh was this story that appeared on TMZ was that, uh, some high up, like practically a cardinal or a bishop in the Church of Satan. He's like, yeah, it wasn't that offensive. Like he didn't even offend. He didn't even really impress Satanists. Yeah. 
So I, I'm trying to understand what that means. Some, <laughs> there's a Church of Satan. It's in San Francisco, I think. It's Anton. What's the guy's name? And there was that Anton. There was the head of the Church of Satan. It was a thing, like in the '60s. There were people that followed it and everything. It was a. Oh sure. Well, there still are apparently. I think. Um, okay, in the course of my research. Like, I don't really care about Satanism. It's like... I know, it's so mundane and boring. I so mean, stupid. Yeah. But what I did read is that... Uh, the, what, And I could be wrong on this, but this is what I read. Um, that Satanism is a, is a rejection of all organized religion, and it is a uh, worship of the self. Oh, which, you know... No wonder we're seeing so many examples of Satanism oh, everywhere we look. Profound. So a narcissistic culture where people don't have yeah. any regard for other people, you know, their parents, their children, their 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 wives, husbands, whatever, you know, doesn't those are people are not important. Only person that's important is you in some senses is a kind of a kind of like a satanic. Yeah. Culture, right. Is yeah. Paraphrasing. Well, I mean, well, I mean, um, you know, going back to Nietzsche, we lost religion and but the but the maybe the human mind has propensity to find something bigger than itself to believe in. And so it starts latching on to various things. That's where they've a lot of people have pointed out that wokeness and progressivism Communism. is a form of religion and climate the climate crisis is another form of religion that that um that mimics a lot yeah. of the yeah. a lot of the rules and behaviors of a typical organized religion well they they give people's lives like something the wokeness thing and the climate change thing they give people's lives meaning right like you're not just some guy going to work, you know, watching Netflix, you know, it's kind of like you're actually you could be a hero who's going to save the planet. You could you can be a hero who's saving the downtrodden, you know, uh, whatever uh, indigenous people, black people, whatever. Right. You could be part of that struggle and heroism and you can give yourself up to this cause. And, and as you pointed out, it's actually not very human for people to want to do that. That's what religion t traditionally has filled that, you know, what, they, what Douglas Murray called it. Is it well, he's, somebody else came up with it, but a God-shaped hole. You ever heard that? There's a God -shaped <laughs> That's great. I know, it's, it's, a, it's a great line, right? So there's this God-shaped hole and people are filling it. In the previous century, going back to Nietzsche, that people have commented on, the previous century, the God-shaped hole was filled by some pretty ugly stuff, you know, fascism and communism. Yeah. The ways that people, especially communism, went on for and still continues in some senses in, into our time as a way of filling that sense of we are going to, we are getting, you know, there's a religious nature to communism, the, the communist idea. It's like we're all going to get together as people across the world and we're going to have all the workers are going to be united, you know. Uh, and we're going to have this wonderful paradise if we can just get through to it. We need to do socialism in the meantime where the party has to suppress everything. But once we get to communism, it's going to be great. And everyone's going to be just living in this perfect paradise or whatever that's on Earth. Right. <laughs> and of yeah. course, you know, it doesn't work out that way, obviously. But no. yeah. OK, it's so it's completely this... antithetical to yeah. human behavior completely. And there's the bodies, the dead bodies piled up to prove it like no 100 million of them.
Millions of them. Yeah, and it's and people are shocking. People are aware of the, how fascism, fascism basically takes the same thinking. It says, you're just a, you can be part of this great struggle, but instead of saying for the great workers of the world, you're going to be part of a great struggle for your nation and your people, right? Who are going to struggle against the other peoples of the world and dominate them if necessary, or, you know, because the world is a battleground. Both, you know, both ideas have this idea that the world is a battleground where you have to crush the ideas on the other side rather than let them crush your ideas. You mentioned earlier the free speech. I mean, you, your view and my view is no, people should just be able to say what they want to say freely. And there's no one idea that's the, there's no one set of ideas that's the perfect set of ideas, right? That are going to dominate over the others. You want multiple different ideologies and ways of looking at the world for, for people to, this is my personal view for people to flourish. Cause you, you know, they can, um, bounce off each other and then people can come up with you know uh, sort of a dialectic type thing but it's um, so interesting because I mean I understand the impulse to repress speech because you hear somebody saying something that's utterly execrable and disgusting yeah. and you think those words have to be dangerous but if you if you stop pause for a second just to be rational about it um, they're words you can't control them one way or another, somebody's got something to say, they'll find a way to say it, or they'll find an audience. And also, um, I've had this point out to me a couple of times. Uh, Hitler was really a product of censorship. Yes. He was yes. brutally censored. He was put in and, prison. They put him in yes. prison. They locked him yes. up. That's when he yes. wrote Mein Kampf, right? Okay, good. Also, I'm not telling. I don't Hugo want to tell Chavez, too. Hugo Chavez was briefly put in prison as well. There's, right. You know, anyway, so. speaking, and then. Also, who, and this is it goes for censorship as well. Who is this wise body? These uh, who are these sages? Who are the ones who are going to decide exactly on, what on our right. on our behalf yeah. that we apparently lack the intelligence to discern? <laughs> and right. also, that's the other thing. Am I too dumb? Like if I hear yeah. someone who says something hateful, am I so am I so stupid that I can't make up my own mind? Like you know, why does the government yes. I don't understand the concept? I don't, you know. I know it's absurd. So as much as it doesn't, I, I don't like it, it's unpleasant and and also um but uh well we've seen what's been happening with repression of speech and 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 censorship. We, we just had an app that that we've had a pandemic of of uh free speech repression in the last three years when government colluded with high tech yeah. to shut people up and silence people. And how well is that going? Right. I mean, well, it's, it's, it was it's a radicalizing a lot of people. And I like, I, I'm not that I'm being radicalized, but my trust in the institutions has diminished over the past yeah. several years. Partly as it's a result of all this, you know? It's in the negative. I know, and you don't trust these institutions. And now they're crying, saying, nobody trusts us. Nobody likes us. Like, <laughs> what did you expect? <laughs> what did you expect? Yeah, so so that's a, that's a really deep and profound point that actually does stem from this. So the institutions, I mean, you could count the Oscars as a kind of old guard institution. It's a 20th century institution. I mean, it's not a government. But it is a system connected to Hollywood that gives out, you know, it's this big circle jerk, you know, for lack of a, you know, I, I want to have a, I want to really, you know, uh, a kind of a term that's going to 
a very polite term, so I'll call it circle jerk, right? That's <laughs> that's a sweet way of describing what they're doing. But but it is this big deal, and people get all dressed up, and you know, it had to, it, it's this thing that's been going for what a hundred years? Was the eighty sixth? You said eighty mm-hmm. six, a long long time, going back to the golden, you know, silent era films, you know, and all this stuff. And and yet it's tired. It's a very tired institution, right? Yeah, very fatigued. It's got this fatigue, and and your article makes me think, boy, these people are like kind of like kind of like a a bunch of people who fought in a war, and they, you know, like veterans of a war who vanquished an enemy, and they had this great glory, and they came home, and everybody was celebrating them, and they were getting all this acclaim, and then they got older, and then sort of the celebration gradually diminished over time, and. But then they're they're all 75, 80 years old and they're still kind of sitting there going, you know, remember when we stormed over the, you know, and they're and they're trying to sort of portray that as though it was the war was last year or something. It's like that's no. a great analogy. Yeah, something like that. That's that's what your article made me think. It's like these people, this is not the piss Christ, you know, this is not you're not going against Tipper Gore. You're not Tipper Gore. I mean, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I mean, is she, Tipper Gore. She's what? She's Al Gore's wife. I mean, they're now the institute. They're like the people. You know, they're all the lefties now, right? I mean, I can't even figure out which way any of who are we supposed to be offending exactly. Like, I don't even I understand. Know. It's all. Yeah, that was that was the other point. I mean, it's right on the the last second of that Sam Smith performance, out popped a sign with the red flamey fiery background sponsored by Pfizer. And I thought, <laughs> oh, wow, that was so on the nose. It was too wow. on the nose, really. It was like, ah, oh, there's Satan right there. Right, the big pharma. <laughs> yeah, oh, so you guys were celebrating Satan. Wow. And Pfizer Wait. loved it. I that mean, is come wild. On. So, so corporate stuff. So basically, big institutions, the Grammys, the big corporations, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies, governments, they're trying to act like punk rock teenagers is basically what you're saying, right? Is it something like that? They're, they're trying well, I to think... be that kid who's got the mohawk or whatever, and he's like, you know, anarchy for the UK, you know, getting banned, like the way the Sex Pistols were kind of, you know, disrupting the monarchy and doing all this stuff. It's like, it's like, it's almost like if the queen were trying to be that, tra- the king now, I suppose, <laughs> we're trying to be that transgressive or something. It's almost like that seems to be from what I'm reading in, in your article. It's that's how it feels to me, but maybe I'm misreading it. I, I don't know. It must be sad to wake up and think you've been fighting the man all this time. And then it's like, nah, you're the man, dude. It, it, it's it's a little it's a little sad. That's why I never tried, really. It'd be like, I would just suck at it. You know, I'd be that person. It's like, Psst, dude, you're the establishment. It's like, oh, no, my whole life has been a waste. Yeah. So. So there's a very sad part of your article. Like, I mean this in a, as a great compliment to your brilliant writing. There's this sadness to the whole thing. There's this kind of pathetic watching these these people who are who really they want all that acclaim. Madonna, right? She wants she's the as you said, the OG of all this stuff, right? She's the one and she's kind of up there and she doesn't look as nearly, you know, she's not aging as well as I think many people were making that comment is that 
What are we talking a bit about that? Is that is that sexism? Because I saw pictures of her. I thought she looks okay for a woman who's 65. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know how to. She looks like she's had some face facelift work done on her face. Just oh yeah. You know. yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. No, no, she. Go ahead. I know. I, there, there were there was some pushback on that because I mean, you know, there was a gasp heard around the world. It's like her what face. Yeah. is going on? And uh, it's like, oh, you know, dissing someone else's appearance. Especially a woman. There's there's something there's just, I, that doesn't sit well with me somehow. A woman yeah, who's because really women women are, do it. Women are gonna look better when they're younger, more than men. I mean that's that's I don't mean that as a sexist comment. I mean that the way that men are attracted to women, younger women are going to get more attention from men than women who are older. That's a sad reality of life in a certain sense. Well, what is, okay, what is the, what is the basis of, it's shallow to judge other people on their appearances. True. It's, and it's, and it's stupid because I mean, what if you, what if you didn't know who, uh, Mother Teresa was that you know she was a woman who with her own hands healed like uh, an, uh like ha- helped lepers in gutters. If you if you just glance at her, you think, oh well, there's a there's an old granny there. Um, she's quite a bit wrinkled, isn't she? I mean, so it's like you don't know anybody by the by their appearance. Yeah, yeah. and you and. And uh, you judge people on first impressions because maybe they said something awkward, tripped over themselves, whatever. They were nervous. We're not supposed to be so shallow and judge people like that. We are supposed to accept people. But how are we supposed to accept somebody who clearly hasn't accepted herself? This is a woman who is in her early 60s who's trying desperately to appear like a 25-year-old it's fine. I mean, nobody's saying that. Like, she can probably still give a pretty mean performance on a stage, too. She's probably in very good physical condition. Like, just to be very fair to Madonna, I mean, she obviously doesn't look as good as she did when she was twenty-five. That I'm not trying to say. Who that. does? Nobody does. Nobody does. But on the other hand, she is quite. Um, like, I have a great deal of respect for Madonna and what she's done. Uh, she's amazing. I love her uh, music. I, I of love, course, I think she's of course. Amazing, you know. I think she's really incredible. And and Absolutely. her what you mentioned before, all the things she did for that kind of empowering of sexuality of women, saying, "Hey, I'm going to be beautiful and I'm going to be attractive to men, and I'm going to use that as my that's going to be my power. That's going to be me empowering myself." I think that is such an amazing, great way to. Um, I think it's very empowering for women, I think. What bugs me about her is that the second she gets a bit of pushback, like, Madonna, what did you do with your face? You look like a retired porn star. And she snaps back with the patriarchy has got its knee on my throat again. And it's like, oh, honey, you and she's saying I've been treated like a doormat, like, the last what are you talking about? He's been acclaimed all over the world by yeah, literally but, billions you know, of people. And yet, right? and so suddenly she's a victim and it does, I've called her before, the Norma Desmond of pop music. You remember Norma Desmond, that line at, at where he said, you're Norma Desmond, you used to be big. And she said, I am big. But it's the, the pictures, pictures got that small. got small. <laughs> right, right. It's not me. 
it's never me. Yeah. Because that is the basis of of runaway narcissism, where it's like, Madonna, what did you do with your face? You're the patriarchy. You're yeah. you're I, I didn't do anything. You all you. It's all you. You every all yeah, you like, millions of people who are criticizing me, right? Yeah. And it's yeah, like, yeah. no, you've got on Instagram, you got your naked ass in the air with your fishnet stockings on and you got children. I don't know. I'm sounding like a didn't judgy you write a column? Like, you write a what column? have I done? You wrote a column about Madonna that was so good that it was all about how, like, if, if, exactly what you just said, something about how, like, if all these people are criticizing you, then, you know, it can't all be them. I'm trying to remember. This was another column you wrote. I'm pretty sure. That, that one was about the fact that she had somehow struck a deal uh, for a biopic of her life. Right. And she had arranged it that she was going to get a writer credit. She was going to be one of the producers and she was going to direct it. And I was like, okay, that is some of the most extraordinary hubris. <laughs> and what did I just read the other day? I was going to update this. The deal, the, the deal has been kiboshed. It's been killed. They're not going forward with it. Somebody, somebody finally put a stop to that insanity. And so for like, how many reasons is that a bad idea? One, biopics already are not they good. They stink anyway, most of them. They stink <laughs> because a human existence doesn't fit well into Two hours. react story yeah. structure like yeah. in the in the Joseph Campbell sense of the narrative. Well, they also always ups follow, and downs and twists and turns. And they also always follow this same psychological trauma during childhood. And then yeah. they always, they have this formulaic thing that they do. And then the, you know, the kind of the coming of age and liberating yourself and all this stuff. Like it's anyway, it's, it's, it's always the same story. Like you watch the Ray Charles one, you watch, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Now they're going to have the childhood scene where he's traumatized. Now they're going to have the, you know, when making it big and now they're going to do this. Now they're going to do that. But anyway, and also, if you are famous enough that somebody is making the biopic of your life, probably the basic um, story beats are already well known, right. well reported. Like we already know what happened along the way. So I've read biographies about Madonna, and... so I feel like if I was watching it, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, right. That's when this happens. I'm seeing it now." But I already know the story, right? Yeah. So, story. Um, yeah, so that's that, that's really one thing I wanted to return to is this there's this weird narcissism of people like Madonna, I suppose, where um, th this was noted when Re Renee Zellweger had had um, she had some really some facelift done where all of a sudden you could hardly even recognize her. Do you remember this was about five years ago? She, she, like that she, she came out and her face was, you know, she looked good, actually. Like, it looked like actually good facial work, but it didn't look like her anymore. All the chub, all the sort of chubbiness of her cheeks was gone. And she had these sort of dimples that had never been there before and all this kind of stuff. And so it was like people were commenting in newspapers and social media and stuff like this all about, you know, wow, you know, and they were sort of criticizing it and everything. And then she's reacting with this same impetuous, like, Oh, this is so unfair. All these people are talking about my appearance and all this kind of stuff. And some people made some smart commentators made this comment like if you spend your whole life begging everyone to look at you 
And then you complain when people are looking at you. There's something really wrong with that, right? Like it's like you're you you know you want everyone to look at you, you want people to admire you and also comment on your appearance and then and then you're upset when they're not saying what you want them to say. I mean, how much in other words Wait, are we talking want? about Meghan Markle or Renee Zellweger? Renee Zellweger, but I I don't know, maybe maybe Cuz you Meghan just described Markle. Meghan and Harry. They're like Oh yeah, the tour privacy, around the world, right? Yeah. Did you see the South Park thing? Did you see that? Yes. Yeah, so maybe exactly. you could describe it. Uh, yeah. Why don't you describe it? Oh. <laughs> well, she's talking about suing them. It, it was ex it, it, it distilled exactly that, which was an absolute fascination with her own notoriety. Um, always inserting herself into everything with these vanity projects like this Netflix series his memoir all over the uh, every interview stop there is every chance at attention you can conceive of like there's a mass shooting in Uvalde Texas and she hops on a plane and inserts herself into it and you know like it's a private jet over there for a day and puts on her jeans because it's a not a dressed up look she puts on her $600 rag and bone jeans but always inserting themselves everywhere. And then it's like, respect our privacy or we're going to sue the pants off you. That's so, that's such an interesting, strange phenomenon. That's so hard to understand. And it makes me think like, is there any such phenomenon that occurs in interpersonal relationships with people? I mean, do do I ever do this to people? Do, do you ever do this kind of behavior where you, you, you effectively, ask for two opposing things at the same time and it's unfair to the people you're asking it to is that maybe too deep of a i've never done you? anything like that i yeah, swear right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, i don't know who what you're referring to but yeah I, but i'm just wondering is this just the same thing that lots of people do except it's so scaled up on such a massive scale across the magnified. world magnified yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, you know, or, or is it something unique about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I do know that Prince Harry is one of these people who seems to want to act like he came up in East London or something like this. Like, he, he kind of wants to be this kind of man of the people or something. It's very, he's very, I don't know. It, it's like he didn't, he doesn't, I mean, he even left the monarchy, right? It's Technically, he left the monarchy, but he still has a royal title. He's still a prince. His name still appears on the royal register. He's still, I can never remember exactly, but I think he's fourth in line to the throne. He's number four still. Right, right. So, so someone goes and takes a machine gun out and offs three of them, then he's, he's our monarch. He's literally our monarch, right? Exactly. So, yeah. and and his two children, if I have that right, uh well prince yeah. charles excuse me king charles now is the king yeah he is and then king it would charles's be charles's son right so then it would be william and the eldest right and then if you cycle through william's three children because they would follow after william oh really and then after it, it would yes. go okay okay that's interesting i didn't know that and then after those three children would come uh prince harry, harry. and right. then his firstborn secondborn 
Mm. And then where would it go after that? I don't. I have That's to interesting. Check. I didn't know. I thought it cycled down from brother to sister to brother, but it actually doesn't. It goes down. It goes down the line, and then the line one way. Yeah, I I don't know. I, that's I don't know how to think about that kind of narcissistic behavior on on a more on a smaller scale, right? Because people talk about narcissism as a general problem. You know, I I I I, I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to. I I don't want to be that person like i don't want to be like prince harry right <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> so, i i like, kind of i don't i don't want to come down too hard on him uh because i feel i feel for him a little bit like being born into the royal family isn't easy gotta be tough and i think it's easy to be rich and famous if you're born into it but i don't know i mean no I, and they're super disgusting functional and a little bit chilly they're kind of cold and people step into that into that milieu and they think they could change it that was princess diana she thought she could make them all warm and fuzzy you know she'd walk up and hug the queen and the queen would stand there (laughs) stiff as a rod going babe what are you doing why don't do that stuff and um and megan megan saw the surface of it and then she stepped inside of it and went, dang, this shit's boring. Like, they lead extraordinarily boring lives. Mm, yeah. And, and really, really hard work. You're That's constantly going really... around doing photo ops and shaking hands. Ribbon cuttings at a factory like just absolutely mind-numbing, stultifying hard work. That's the yeah. funny thing about the queen. She never wanted a career. She never wanted to be queen. And she was thrust into a career. And then it turned out that actually she was a workaholic. Yeah. You know, she, she had a good really at, from what I understand, Queen Elizabeth. She did solid, a very good job. Right. Rock solid work ethic. Yeah. And it's been rumored. I mean, I didn't actually hear her say it, or I don't know if anybody did. But when the Meghan Markle's limited exposure to the royal duties, um, she found it so tedious that at one point she exclaimed, I can't believe I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. The, the, the it's other not that fun and you don't have a lot of freedom. You don't you have and very there, little freedom. The, the other the other problem the other problem with being born into that if you're Prince Harry or if you're King Charles or someone is that you there's no there's nowhere up to go like like you and I were born in a circumstance where I can make something of my life like at the end yeah. of my life I can say hey you know I couldn't read until I was in grade three or something and now I'm a professor at Sejap or whatever I you know I couldn't even talk to women when I was 20 21 I was so petrified and now I have this beautiful wife or you know like I I can like the, these things I've achieved on my own that I can tell people right whereas if you're born into that you know you can you can fulfill the duties up to what's acceptable or even good as queen elizabeth did but you can't really move up you can't through your own initiative you can't move up in the world because you're so you can do top. good and you can accomplish things and you can get awards and but you but... can't you can't at the end of it say hey i started out down here and now i'm up here right like Which drake many, many of us from can... the bottom now i'm he 
right so yeah. from the bottom now the whole right team. drake right exactly starting from the bottom now we hear like right if you're drake you can say that i mean not that he started down in some ghetto the guy was like rich or whatever right <laughs> you know like he grew up in some well-off neighborhood but he didn't he wasn't he wasn't born into total privilege right he no uh right malcolm gladwell talks about this he talks about the ideal environment for success for children and he said it's a threshold too little works against you too much works against you i'm not sure how much i'm not sure how much weight i put on anything that malcolm gladwell <laughs> says and i wonder if half the shit he says he just made up because it's since, like since i can't reveal the source debate that, that was that was quite a spectacle when he yeah. he played the race card what four times against matt taibbi and douglas murray that that was something and then he used that he mopped the floor attacks. with his fuzzy afro yeah i know and he and he used ad hominem attacks instead of presenting evidence i mean it was it was really it was something dreadful it was dreadful but, very but there was something was something to take away when he talks about uh birthright and he met, he mentions that some hotshot uh producer worth hundreds of millions of dollars who had been born in Chicago, arrived in LA, not two nickels to rub together, clothes on his back, and made it mm. all on his own by his own wit. And, uh, you know, um, he just hard scrabbled his way to the top. And then he had kids. And these kids were obviously given private schools, yeah. private jets. Yeah. And he said, you know, I look back at my life and if there's anything that kind of like really gets me in the gut, it's the idea that my children will never have yeah. the opportunity to overcome because what I overcame. Yeah. Because yeah. having overcome extreme poverty is the one thing that gives him more satisfaction than all in his life than, than yeah. Yeah actually rising out of that means something to him. The fact that, yeah. right. That as it, as it would, as it would. That reminds me of a story. I, my, my, my father-in-law, Juan Rodriguez uh, in the Dominican Republic told me years ago when we were drinking together once down there, he said, I said, what was your father like? He said, my father was a great man. He was a great man. But then over the years I was wondering, he didn't tell me why. So this last trip, I said, Hey Juan, you know, like you told me, you told me your father was a great man. Can you tell me why he was a great man? He said, yeah, I'll tell you why. He said he came, he arrived here in La Romana, Dominican Republic, age of 11, with no with no money in his pocket. Started working at the age of 11 at the sugar plant, at the sugar factory. And then he wow. got married, had a bunch of kids. And at the end, he had a house and everything. It's like, that is a great man. Somebody came from Haiti, didn't know how to read, you know, had wow. no nothing, you know. It's like, you think that's an achievement. There's a person yeah. who really did something, you know, like that's how I would like to be remembered. I'd like to be remembered that I had I, I was able to raise myself out of something and create something for the world. And then he yeah. did because we all only have what we have. You know, that Juan's father, Fanny's grandfather was born in Haiti in, in like 1925 or something. You know what I mean? Or whatever the hell it was, it was literally having nothing. And, you know, so there's there's that's something that, you know, I think that it's sort of sad in some senses that Harry for everything he has, he won't, wouldn't be able to say something like that. He wouldn't have any of that. And you're, you know, kind of like the kids of this big movie producer guy too. That's kind of his point, I think. Yeah. Right. Well, but poor Harry. I mean, he was actually a very cool Royal 
And then he met he Megan. Didn't he wear a swastika once? Do you remember that? He did. He did. That's so British. <laughs> like, oh, it's a funny party. We're going to have a funny party. We're going to dress like Uncle... What's his name? There's a lot of uh, Nazism. Oswald, uh, what was his name? That British yeah. fascist? Oswald. Yeah. Uh, Wait. Um, Oswald, okay. British fascist. Um, it was the guy who married a Mitford. <laughs> he was a guy. So that was the story. Was um, uh, William Buckley Jr. was in the home of this, you know, well-heeled British gentry, Lord of the Manor, and they were had a lovely meal. And he glanced over at the fireplace as they were sipping their brandy and said, "Why do you have a pit, a portrait of?" I can't remember which na Nazi it was, but it was wasn't Hitler, but it was Martin one of his it was Goebbels. 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 Wow. And he said, "Why do you have a, <laughs> a portrait, portrait of, of Goebbels? Goebbels over your fireplace?" He said, "He was my godfather." Oh it was like, God. "Ugh." Whoa, there's a conversation stopper. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was like, "Oh, it's getting late. I got a dash. Wow. I should be getting on." <laughs> Jesus. God. So, uh. William was a cool guy. He went to war. He was a soldier. He seemed quite charming and quite nice and a, a sensitive, emotional kid who lost his mom. It's very sad. Mm -hmm. But then maybe he and Megan were a little bit nitro and glycerin. Yeah. Because she is, um, you know, it's funny about the, the bit of power balance that happens between men and women. Because it's never perfectly equal. Somebody's always in charge, right? Yeah. Maybe some people don't want the power. They want to be. Mm -hmm. uh, they 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 want somebody else to wear the pants. Yeah. They want to they want to abdicate that responsibility. Mm. And then a lot of men wear marry bullying women, and they never stand up to them. And then there's something about the woman that maybe wants the man to stand up to them. I don't know. It's interesting. I've seen it. So she, psychology there. Apparently, uh, I was just reading today. And I mean, it sounds like I just read this garbage like I'm some. But it's like the headlines that pop out at you. You can't really avoid them. But it said, before meeting Megan, Harry found wokeness exhausting. <laughs> like most people do. Even, yeah. even the woke are sick of woke. I gotta tell you, I I, I I live most of my a lot of my life. I, I live um, I I don't live a lot of my life in English, right? So I live a lot of my life in in French and in Spanish. Uh, and most of the people I'm around, if you try and explain some of these concepts to, they they don't even really understand some of these things, some of these wokeness stuff. Fanny sent me this video the other day. It was in Spanish. It was going around on Instagram in Spanish about. And she was all like, oh, my God. And she said it was from the Vancouver School Board, how they were telling little kids about how they could be trans and homosexual and all this kind of stuff. And she was just like, what the hell? She just couldn't understand what any like it didn't make it. Didn't, the whole thing was so strange to her. It just in the sense of why would you do that with a little kid? Like it's a little yeah. kid. Right. It's yeah. kind of like it's a child. Just let it, you know, you can make jokes about stuff like that, but you don't try and present these things as though they're, you know, cognizant. So I hope that my, this is just 
I hope that maybe some of this woke stuff is just going to sort of fade away over time and maybe, you know. Um, I feel like it is. I feel like it is. Um, it's burning itself out a little bit. But then again, I thought it's I, it started to appear when I was in university in the late political, 80s. Political correctness, and I, right? That's, that's, I thought it was yeah. going to I thought it, it wouldn't last. And I think it here did we are. peter out. I think it did sort of go on the back burner for and a then number it came of years. Back yeah, that's what it feels course. like. It, it feels like it kind of, in this century, it's come back stronger. I don't know why. Because it feels like it was like maybe 20 years ago, it was not as big as it was 10 years before that somehow. You know, oh, like and speaking of, of the other cultures, though, because you were saying that you live your life in French and Spanish, I've been told that the French don't really have much use at all for the, this wokeness stuff, which is well, interesting because they kind of invented it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, if just going back to our <laughs> Me Too conversation, you may remember um, when the Me Too thing broke that a, a, a group of this is European French people, um, feminists. Right. Yeah, different yeah. from here in Quebec. These are very yeah, of course, of course. I didn't need to conflate. Yeah. No, I, I understand. I know. I know you know the difference. Just to make that clear to our listeners that, uh, and then of course there's Belgium, which is something different again. You know, uh, I have a very good friend who's Congolese, and you know they have contacts in Belgium, and that's quite different from France. But a group of leading French, European French feminists published this letter. Do you remember this? No. Talking about it was after the Me Too thing, and they were and they were basically making this point that. We need to be very careful with all this stuff because as much as we think Harvey Weinstein, and I think we should add Bill Clinton to that list, are sure, yeah. horrible sexual predators who prey on women and, and do these yeah. things. We don't want to live in a world where we can't flirt with men and have sexuality yeah. in the public, like have times when maybe we're going to be vulnerable where, you know, like there's how much of sexuality is going to occur between men and women in public spaces that is not consummated, right? So how much, when you go around and you're buying coffee and how, how much of that is going to occur before there's actual sexual, you know, maybe a, somebody hitting on you and how, you know, and then how, how much of that is a, a sexual aggression or, you know, it's, it's, it's really, and these French feminists were basically saying, we don't want to live in a world where we can't actually feel as women with men in the in public without worrying about, uh, you know, thinking about, um, you know, filing charges for assault or these kinds of things. I don't know if that, I'm not being very. Well, it's funny you it, should but... say that. I was just seeing I saw the other day. This made me laugh. A letter that appeared an post that appeared on reddit this woman said um uh what do you think of this situation i work in this office and uh you know we're like a nice close-knit company medium size well there's this guy and i mean i don't want to she didn't want to say anything bad about his performance he does his job but he, and he talks to all the other guys in the office but he won't talk to the women in the office i mean he'll be polite He'll answer your question. He's not rude or anything, but it's always strictly work. And often, if we're all going to the bar afterwards for a drink, if he finds out that the girls are going, he'll yeah, opt yeah. out. Mm -hmm. And me and the other girls are starting to get really creeped out by this. And we're thinking of actually <laughs> reporting him to HR. <laughs> and my thought was, ah, okay. The guy's so, supposed to do. It's I know. You report him to HR if he talks to you. 
and you report him to HR if he doesn't talk to you. Oh, and it's like, why don't you just string him up and get him get it over with? It's yeah. like his crime so, seems to be that he has a penis. And exactly. he like uh, or something. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out like like how exactly because the message seemed to be, as you described, for men in the workplace, seemed to be young men don't really interact at all because it's too you're right. I just be, just because you like, get jammed up, and it's a reasonable uh, you know tack to take. Just basically be be polite, be nice, answer questions, but don't get don't ask any personal questions. Don't do any right. And that sounds like that young man was doing that. He was following the mores and, and the you know the rules as he understood them. I, that's what it sounds like from the way you described it, right? Well, he's terrified, and somebody said to him, "Look, watch your back. It's really dangerous out there." You know, yeah. you get a, an accusation against you. Your whole career could be destroyed. You wind up uh, um, pricing tin cans at uh, collecting shopping carts at Walmart. <laughs> and so what's funny is I have a friend. He's a lawyer. And he was at his law firm one day. And uh, there was a woman that he worked with. And they were old friends, extremely close type people that said anything and everything to one another. And she had said something rather self-deprecating about herself and he had turned around and said oh stop it you're beautiful and there was another woman sitting there a colleague and he didn't know that other woman very well but because something in his brain said well you can't compliment one and leave the other one out it felt oh awkward God. and and not so he just equal to him so he turned around and looked at her and said and you're beautiful too and she complained and he got written up Wow, that's, yeah, that's really. I I don't I don't know how to deal with all these things because I, I I look around at the just this connects to our earlier our conversation some time ago about me too where where we talked where you pointed out all these good things that it did, it it exposed all this horrible behavior that I'm sure you must have suffered a lot of men kind of being inappropriate to you when you you're younger. I I learned recently, for example, that women in bars will go into the woman's bathroom to get away from guys who are leering all over them. That that's a thing that some women will do like young women in a bar. If there's some guy who's like, Hey, yeah, you know, that, that, the, that the woman's bathroom is kind of a, a safe space for women. Oh, I, I need to go to the bathroom. And that's probably, that never occurred to me because I'm a man. I, maybe when I was younger, I might've been that guy who's trying to hit on the girl, you know, I'm I'm like the drunken guy trying to, you know, right? But it I just, doubt that. Well, I don't know, but who knows? Uh, but uh, I wasn't very good at that kind of thing when I was younger. But, um, but anyway, um, it just occurred to me that that, that women that that's a very minor form of suffering, but it is a form of suffering. I think for if you're a woman and you're out and you're just with your friends or something, and there's right. And there's some guys. Oh, I suffer so and... badly at the, all the men that are throwing themselves at me. It's the suffering is just incredible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 57 years old. I don't even remember what it's like. Okay, I have a funny story. Well, you it's look beautiful, like, Liz. I hope I can give you that compliment. I'm, I'm right, yeah. getting you written. I'm going to HR yeah. right now. <laughs> okay. Um, Ten years ago, it's my son's birthday, and a friend of ours who's arsenal insane and he comes over and he's got i got a present for him and it was like an arsenal soccer scarf and it had those little pylons that soccer people like to use and and there was some other arsenal stuff in there and the next day it was cold day i was going out and i 
just grabbed that scarf to wear. It looked a little cozy. Okay. Tied around my neck. I was going out into the world. I was off to work. And um, I was getting so many guys checking me out. What's that, that about? Started, well, I actually just gave away the punchline there, but it was crazy. And it was like Kramer's Kavorka, you know? Oh, yeah. I had the Kavorka. <laughs> and I was like, it's been a long time since this has happened. Like, what are the like men are hitting on me like all the time when I'm going around? Staring at me like uh, yeah. turning and 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 rubbernecking and and then I'm standing in Starbucks and I get my coffee and I put some sugar in my coffee and there's a guy, young guy, handsome looking guy, and oh my god, he's walking toward me, and I start <laughs> to get nervous and I'm shaking, and he walks up to me and he goes and I think, what is going on with me? And he looks at me and he goes, so you're an Arsenal fan? <laughs> I was like, what? Huh? What? Arsenal? Oh, yeah. The scarf. Yes. I don't oh, even know God. what you're saying about soccer. Not even the first well, thing. Look, maybe all those other guys were just looking at how beautiful you look. No, they were looking at the Arsenal scarf. I they were know. all soccer fans. Well, okay, no, let, I know. Let, let me stay. I that. went out the next day without the scarf. There were no heads all right. turning. Well, why, don't I, why don't I try and pay you another compliment? If I was walking down the street and I saw you, I would turn around and look because you look nice. It's true. Nice. It's true. Thank really you. True. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, okay. So let's get back to the article as we move towards closing. Towards the end of the article, you you use this cartoon, which is probably my favorite cartoon in, in the whole. I love show. that one too. It is just it's one. It was published in like the New Yorker, like in the 1960s or something, or the 70s or something. I don't know. It's really old, and many people have seen it. And just to describe it, it's 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 it's, it's a very basically drawn cartoon with this. You know, it's got this artist guy who's got sort of like a ponytail and he's holding a, a paintbrush <laughs> and he's standing there. And 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 there's another he's facing a guy who's very sort of it's all basically very simply drawn cartoon stick men, basically. And and the guy he's facing has like a little suit on and he's he's he's, he's got no hair, he's got really short hair, like he's very business guy, he's wearing a suit, and he's very and he's very stiff looking, and the artist looks sort of hip, like he's sort of slouched over, it looks really cool. <laughs> And then there's a there's a painting that the artist has next to him with the business guy on it. The business guy is being painted on the painting. <laughs> and it says fucking ass ho and then there's a space. And 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 the artist says, "Um can I have a grant please so I can finish my art?" right? So the implication <laughs> is the poor business dude is like you know, kind of standing there. And it's sort of like wh whatever he says. If he says, yeah, sure, you know, here, take the money, then he's going to be the fucking asshole, right? Of course, because mm -hmm. then the artist is going to finish. Can't the win. And, and if he says no, it's going back to this thing about being written up, whether you you don't, whether, <laughs> right? Like you're going to be written up no matter what you do. If you say no, then you're the fucking asshole who wouldn't give you and you hate art. And, and just, you know, when I read your article, it was very interesting because I've loved that cartoon for at least 10 years or longer. And I've always pictured that guy with the suit on as Stephen Harper and the artist as someone at the NFB or someone at CBC who's like, oh, Stephen Harper's a Nazi. Oh, can he get, please, Mr. Harper, could you give us some more grant money? You're a Nazi, right? And, you know, and so it was, it was always <laughs> like this sort of, and Stephen Harper being this kind of sort of like dour, right wing Albertan guy, blah, blah, blah. He's going to, he can't win. 
But you made this case that's very interesting that the the establishment people, like the the, the the fucking assholes, so to speak, are all these Hollywood kind of people now, right? Uh, and so I wondered if you could, like, in other words, the, the people going, the people going to get the grant money or whatever, they're they're not going to kind of the Stephen Harpers. They're going to the uh, the Bonos and the you know yeah. the. the 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 Al Gore's and the you know the the Madonnas and all these these kind of you know international kind of political Sean Penn type people right I wonder if you could just flesh that out a little bit because it's it's kind of hard for me to put those things together I you know because they're how is Sean Penn like Stephen Harper or how is well what's what's know? kind of interesting yeah about about how the the questions of what defines establishment but i think what's what has always been the case is anybody who's in a corporate boardroom anybody who has a lot of power and a lot of money they don't want to be seen as an ogre they don't want to be seen as somebody who tortures livestock they don't want to be somebody who's gonna who's ending the world as we know it like what does your daddy do oh he works for exxon yeah (laughs) and they don't want to be seen in a bad light. And so um, this is where you get this concept of corporate responsibility, which of course is good. Corporations should be responsible. At the same time, don't responsible yourself into bankruptcy. Also, um, don't be cynical about it. Also, don't, and, don't be kowtowed into, don't, don't be threatened into I think I wonder if some of that is just responding to threats in some senses. I I don't know if that makes any sense. I you know. Well, also, I mean, and also be honest about what it is that you're doing. Like you're not here to save the world. You're here to make some money and there and there you sort of end up with a very thorny relationship between um the establishment and artists or the establishment and activists. The establishment and the daughter who's just had, she's just spent the whole day in school having her her brain washed with concepts of climate crisis and um, gender and race and critical race theory. So, but there's somebody who's paying the bills for the whole thing. And to understand that this is a mutually beneficial relationship this oil man needs a nice painting in his lobby, wants it to be cool. He wants to be cool. He wants to be liked. He wants to be understood. But at the end of the day, be honest, you're just there. You're just there to pay for all of this. And what's interesting is who, um, which countries wind up having the best environmental record. Yeah. These are countries with successful rich countries, rich countries yeah. because they have the money to fix the problems and to have the cleanest scrubbers. And um, so, so poor countries need to get rich so they can do that. And the way they're going to get rich is to use fossil fuels. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, anyone, but, anyone who doesn't understand that, 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 that fossil fuels are necessary to help the people of the Congo and the people of Brazil and the people, you know, to get better off doesn't understand anything about how development works right well they don't want the congo to get rich that's part of it is a paternalistic almost a colonial attitude that 
oh, you know, the yeah. Congolese are, are are not entitled to have air conditioning or something like that, right? It's no, a, a, the Congolese, you get your children to mine the cobalt, right? So yeah, we can virtue right. signal with our with electric our cell car. Yeah, with, <laughs> with our yeah. electric cars and our, and our iPhones. But we don't want the, those kids in the Congo having air conditioning and and, and their own vehicles. No, UNICEF will come in and put a solar panel on their roof. Yeah, yeah, it's very colonial. That that treatment of the third world by the especially the the World Economic Forum European consensus more than it is in North America. It's more of a European thing. Is so paternalistic and colonial. It just you know, the Klaus Schwab type thing of we're going to tell the world what to do and how to, oh, we need to go and make renewables in Latin America and, and Africa. It's like, why don't you, you know, why don't you start with yourself, right? Why are you telling everybody else to use less energy when you're, you know, why don't you just deal with what's good for you and I'll do me. And maybe that, maybe there are some kids in the Congo, if they're a little better off, they're the next Albert Einstein, if they can get better education and have more access. Like, really? I mean, you know how much human potential there must be in the world in oh, poor countries? Um, say, with, they don't the care. The globalists yeah. don't care about Africa one bit. What would be the best for Africa is all of those globalists got in that pod that they built for the for after the apocalypse just, and just pray that you don't wind up beside Hillary Clinton <laughs> and just go. Just flying down space. Except yeah, yeah, or New Zealand. I think they're headed for New Zealand, but Perfect. it's like Perfect. There. That's as far away as they can go without going to Antarctica. Sounds right to me. And I that would be great. You know, they could stay down <laughs> there, you know. Like, it just sounds right, you know. But um, yeah, I, I don't know how to think about that. I, I guess this funny you called it a uh plutocracy. What did you call it? Um uh, hang on a minute. I, I noted it down. Uh, punditocracy about these these no you didn't use that word actually I may have used that but these Hollywood elites are kind of the the new corp they're kind of the new oil company executives in a certain sense isn't that what you were saying or did I misunderstand oh what I said was that Madonna who was uh, um, paying tribute to all of these young creatives who have picked up her torch of rebellion. And all I could say is, who are you kidding? There is no rebellion. All of the corporations who are paying the bills for this, Hollywood, all institutions, every last one of them, they're on the same progressive page as she is. They share all of her same political ideas, including her idea to blow up a Trump occupied White House. Remember that? Yeah, that's pretty wild. You mentioned that in you mentioned that in the article. I I did not know about that. That was quite a shocking re revelation that to to make a threat to assassinate or to it's it's just incredible. I mean, it's you know, if that had happened, well, he'd only he hadn't even been in he'd only just been he'd only just been inaugurated, and it was like give give the guy a chance. There were a Honestly. number of things. There was the cat. There was the Kathy Griffin thing where she was holding his severed head. Do you remember that yeah, one? Yeah, some severed I head. I mean, it's look. These are freedom of expression. As far as I'm concerned, Madonna has the right to say that. Kathy Griffin has the right to do that. Um, the real question. Every is, once in a while, they want to pretend like they're fair, that they're playing a fair game. So they did cancel Kathy Griffin over that uh, severed. Yeah. They uh, did. I think she lost her gig with CNN. 
But Hmm. that was just, of course, like that was just sacrificing a child to the angry woke gods, right? (laughs) Every once in a while, throw it in there. It looks like we're fair, but they're not fair. They're liars and hypocrites and demanding apologies and well, what, one of the things, speaking of that, the kind of being unfair is this thing, going back to that cartoon. I mean, that cartoon, what that effectively is doing is putting a person in an impossible situation. And I see the same thing just with the phrase Black Lives Matter. How is a person going to oppose that without looking like a racist? Right. The whole the yeah. thing is designed. In well, you such have to a have way. courage. You got right. to have so a lot of courage to criticize. Like to criticize Black Lives Matter is very dangerous because it's it's like what you're against black people. Like, it's, you know, because it, it immediately puts people in this situation where if someone's not paying a lot of attention to a lot of racial politics or whatever, then somehow a criticism of it is sort of like, well, are you on the side of the KKK? Like what? You know, like <laughs> it's kind of like it creates this cleavage. The same way that that guy in in the cartoon is just basically he's putting the guy in a position where it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. So just the phrase "Black Lives Matter," I think, should almost be abolished because it's too obvious. I mean, you know, why is it even a statement? I mean, what if, does anybody think Black Lives don't matter? Like, who doesn't think Black Lives Matter? Show me that. Okay, yeah. that person's a racist, right? Who doesn't think that uh, lives of other people in the world don't matter? Like uh, some group of people, Jew, Jewish lives, uh, you know, uh, uh, indigenous Canadians, whatever, white people, whatever the group is, just pick your group. Pygmy lives. The pygmies, yeah, right. I haven't thought of them in a well, while. But... Uh, one of the funniest things I saw through the whole 2020 Bruja was um, a woman on TikTok, and she said, my Russian dad asked me, what is all this Black Lives Matter business about? And I explained it to him and he stared at me quizzically and snapped, no lives matter. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Boy, that's great, right? So the Russian version is like completely turned on its head, right? Like nobody matters and uh, just get back to your suffering and go back to, uh, you know, trying to, yeah. The thing about Black Lives Matter, it does, like, there, it goes to show you how you're so careful about what you say that the woke left has created an environment of fear. And all of a sudden, you're considered like a dangerous person if you say, Well, I'm confused because BLM raised so much money and I'm not seeing much, many fruits of all of that fundraising. And also, um, some of the higher-ups of this organization have been buying themselves really lavish homes. Yeah. And nobody has been able to really account for the money. And uh, so I just think that I just think that there's a lot of corruption there. At the same time, I'm not inside it. I don't know what it what it's like to be a black person in a white world. I don't. So, so I feel like I could just politely let that one go. Like, well, what you're speaking, but where you have to speak up, right? Where you, it is your duty, is with this trans business, yeah, because that involves the abuse of children, and abusing a child is a crime against humanity. And if you can't speak up about a crime against humanity, you are 
a useless person, you know, you got to speak up and be really honest about that and say no. And that's why I think just, Matt just Walsh of the Daily be, Wire yeah. is a hero. Matt Walsh and what is a woman and all that. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to be clear what you're talking about, you're talking about um, people under the age of 18 who have been. Um, not just that, not just that. Yeah. You cannot erase womanhood. You yeah. cannot, not everybody can walk around and declare themselves a woman. Yeah. You can't do that. That is, that doesn't belong to you. It's not yours to take. Yeah. So no, yeah. it's like, now, if, if I, I'm a respectful and polite person, if you are dressed like a woman and you call yourself a woman and you've got a woman's name, I'll use all your pronouns and everything. I'm not going to go for um, non-binary and say they and them and be grammatically incorrect. I'm just not going to do that. I'm, Sam Smith is a he. I'm not calling him they. I'm not going to do it. But I'll be polite. If you've gone to all of the trouble to turn yourself into a woman, when you are charged with a crime and you're going to prison yeah. and you think, well, the woman's prison is a whole lot nicer. Still ain't great, but it's better. I'm a woman now. Mm -hmm. And when I get in there, I'll see who I can rape. Yeah. No, no. There, there, that there's something is insanity. Yeah. Well, what you're speaking, we were speaking about how Madonna was this big, powerful feminist icon. I think she was. And we both agreed on that. But she's only a feminist icon if we agree that a, a female is a female to be different from a male, right? It's like you can't, she can't be, I, I, I can't call myself a woman and call myself a female icon or like, I, I just, I can't do that. I, I, maybe I could become a male icon, you know, I don't know. You know, that's a separate thing that I could try and do. But it, what this really speaks to, you know, when I talk about this in my classes a lot is that there, it's the, the question of identity divides into two categories basically one one category is things that you adopt and change through your life right so if you over time maybe you learn another language and you become you immigrate to another country and you you integrate into that so you become someone my brother became an american citizen I am an adopted Quebecois in some senses, right? Uh, you know, um, I am a trilingual Montrealer. I wasn't born that way, but I am, and I have been for over for 30 or 25 years or whatever it is. Okay. But then there's other parts of your identity that are built into you, right? Where you were born, you just can't change that, wherever you were born. Mm. And most cases, the color of your skin and your and your group identity that you were born into. That's fairly for a lot of people. That's fairly fixed and baked in. Yeah, baked in. It's fairly and and basically male and female is on that category. I think people just are refusing to accept some of those um, built-in categories. They want everything to be things that we can do and choose. Which I understand that because I love the idea of people being empowered to become new things and go and do new things. That's a great thing about life. You can go off and reinvent yourself in a new society. You can do things. You can learn how to do stuff and all that. But if you have a penis, it's pretty it's pretty hard, you know, to to turn it into a vagina. Physically, it can be done, but it doesn't work very well. And the reverse is also very very hard. No, it's, it's mutilation. It's mutilation. Mutilation. Really. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're. But following what you're that. talking about, I mean, there's. I agree with you. It's a beautiful thing to uh to, what's the word Adopt. Yeah, sure of, co of course yeah. you know i'm from i'm from calgary and i live in um 
Toronto. Uh, urbane Toronto, where everybody is very <laughs> Are you a proud Torontonian. Talk about Noam Chomsky. Right. There, so, <laughs> no, I don't feel like a Torontonian at all. I still mm. have Calgary in my blood. Right. And I'm very much kind of a Calgarian. I think more like Calgarian. It's like, can so and so come to the party? I'm like, shit, yeah. Get her over here. <laughs> it's like in Toronto, it's like, well, we only got the invitation today, so I'm going to decline it because obviously we're last minute. I'm like, why? It sounds fun. So, uh, but so this uh, choo choosing thing your about, identity, like what 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 can you choose and what can okay, you? So not the choose, trans right? the trans thing the trans thing, I think at least the environment that we've come to experience, we've seen gender dysphoria for a long time. Yeah, it's a real thing. It, it really it's a exists. real thing. Yeah, it's an absolutely know. real thing. And then a lot of it comes from sexual childhood sexual trauma sometimes. Yeah. That's, That's autogynophilia. Mm. So, but then you have people, uh, 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 a man who just like, he wants to go about his life as a woman. But now we live in an environment where we're supposed to go along with it in mm -hmm. to the extent mm -hmm. where we're supposed to say, um, uh, Elliot Page, who was Ellen Page, suddenly on Wikipedia, all references to Elliot Page, the female, have been excised, erased, 1984 style. We are probably and dead naming her. Like we're actually, well, I called you know, him. You just, right? you technically, just you just dead named uh, uh, Elliot Page. It's, it's <laughs> Elliot Page, right? So saying Elliot Ellen Page. Page is to commit, not a, not a crime, but... A sin, a kind of a okay, modern, so, you know, something like that, right? It's like a sin. So the, the catechism around it, the language, the orthodoxy around it, that derives from postmodernism and postmodernism and, and all of the ideology around that, but all the French thinkers, the fundamental, the, 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 prem, the premise of it is everything language. that is normal yeah. must appear weird and everything that is weird must appear normal and so like you've got a guy who looks like a rugby player suddenly wearing a, <laughs> a bonnet or whatever yeah <laughs> and a pair of uh, kitten mules and he's wearing a dress and he looks weird and and but we're supposed to all say well that's normal it's normal yeah. Yeah. your tattoos and your bull ring and your and your studs and like <laughs> Well, this brings us back to what's transgressive. Like, if everything is normal, there's no such thing as transgressive. Well, that's why. That right. is why you can't be transgressive anymore. Because the, <laughs> right. uh, the Frankfurt School has turned the whole thing on its head. Yeah. Turned the whole world upside down. There's Satan on the Grammy stage. I don't care. Satan, <laughs> yeah. eh, whatever. We're all just Old shrugging hat. our shoulders going, okay, whatever. Right. Nobody cares. So, and everything. And so suddenly mm, having children is weird. Right. Having children is weird in our postmodern world. Um, you tell somebody I'm having my sixth child. They will look at you like you have two heads. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Where when we were growing up, the Catholics down the street, they had 12 kids, you know wasn't weird it was a lot it wasn't weird though i mean now everything having children is weird uh getting married is weird 
Everything that's normal everything appears weird. Everything that's weird is transgressive. So this is like John, Johnny Rotten, you know, John Lydon from the Sex Pistols, sure supporting do. Donald Trump and being. And he said at one point, he said, it, "To be a punk rocker in the 21st century is to be right wing." He pointed, uh, yeah. he pointed this out. He said, you know, he said, like, I, I'm, you know, I, I, now I've always been. I haven't changed. I am just. I here's am, what. Okay, you know. here's how. Uh, here's how Sam Smith could have been truly transgressive. He should have worn a MAGA hat. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sworn his fealty to Donald Trump. Uh, maybe, oh, definitely the golden showers. A golden shower from Satan. Maybe perform an abortion yeah. on a tranny. Like, it... it yeah. It, also, like, well, what's the point? I mean, like, the other thing about it that sort of I find that strange is the Oscars, in, in one of your other articles I read where you, you were comparing the Oscars of the 2020s to the Oscars of the 1960s, and you had these images of Steve McQueen and, uh, you know, uh, what's her name from Breakfast at Tiffany's? Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn wearing this backless dress, and they're also just, there's sort of this beauty. They're all very kind of, you know, there's this gallantry and this incredible pageantry. And then you're, and then, and then you compared it to these ridiculous dresses they're wearing. So, it makes me think, like, can't they, to be transgressive, maybe they could just get back to putting on a beautiful production where people are starting to see that. And they're all, you know, something like I that. I think we're might starting be to see that. Really? Especially, yeah. Um, in fashion, we're seeing it because um, there's a great example. Was um, I also wrote about this in one in a Substack on there was this trend that's come out, and you're seeing it everywhere still. It's called Barbie Core. And it's this Pier, Pier Paolo Picciolini uh, designer. And he works for the House of Valentino. And he came out with a show last year, early last year. And it was called Pink. And it was an absolute, like, uh, it. the whole entire thing had a whiff of Chanel number no. five about it. It was startling uh, bright pinks. And it was feminine. There were feathers and beads and it was so then and it got dubbed Barbie core and then Barbie core became this big thing. And what was interesting through this year at the last year at the Emmys and then some other event, you were seeing all types of Barbie core dresses, very princessy, very pink with twill and satin and silk. And but it, for real it, women, though, for real women. And women it who actually like, that I would I would look at and go I like the look of her not Dylan Mulvaney oh no no uh, yeah, 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 like yeah, you know. so what was interesting was this Barbie core look comes out and I thought that's interesting because you know the a these are pretty dark times right and this was like a breath of fresh air it was a lot like what the look that Christian Dior came out with post-war after World War II, it was incredibly optimistic time. It was like, let's turn a page. Let's move forward yeah. with all of the technological advancements. And after all uh, that suffering in the 30s and 40s. Exactly. Like, exactly. Right? Yeah. So we, we were still we we're still really in the thick of like cascading global crises. And along comes this look where it's like shocking. It's stunning. It's feminine. Positive. It's beautiful. Beautiful. It reminded me yeah. a lot that show. My first thought in my mind was the um, what's the uh, famous lingerie line called again? Oh, the, Victor, Victoria's Secret. Victoria's Secret. Right. So yeah. what had happened to Victoria's Secret in a couple years back 
was it had, first of all, it had a couple of uh, sex scandals. The corporation had a had a reputation for being a bit handsy, a bit gross, a bit sexist. <laughs> its CEO had a bit of a too close relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Uh-oh. And their sales had started to had started to flatten out a bit. And what did they do? They went woke and they hired oh, Megan Rapinoe as a spokesperson. They started to have um, plus size models and they started to have trans models and they started to have and then they killed off their their annual angels show, which was this extravaganza of femininity and princessy and and what happened to Victoria's Secret? What was the success of their new woke Total. thumbs down? So it, nobody, nobody, nobody liked it. It was, it was, it didn't work. Is what you're saying? No, it didn't work. And yeah. and so what was interesting is along comes this this Barbie core, which is a breath of fresh air. It was so normal. It was so uh, retro. It was so feminine. And yeah. and and look what ha- look what's happened. At Balenciaga, very interesting. They've got their, they've got this. Uh, his name's Chivasalia. Anyway, he's like their creative head. And the Balenciaga stuff this past year has been like um, the set designer from the movie Brazil. Like he had <laughs> one fashion show in mud. Then he had a fashion show in a blizzard. Wow. You couldn't identify the gender of any of the models. It was all it was all dystopian war core. It was all black and depressing. Oh, there was a purse that looked like a bag of garbage. Like it was a giant. It was so Blade Runner and it was Blade ludicrous. And then what did he cap the year off with? Not him, but Balenciaga with this super creepy ad campaign, a gift edit. And they had all these teddy bears in bondage. Oh, and yeah, the children were holding the teddy bears in bondage. And there was Val. And there was like all this Satanist imagery. And it was, and they got smoked for it. Like they got, they, and, and I, the last thing I read, I mean, I'm sure Balenciaga will have food on the table tomorrow and they'll live to another day. Fine. But 70% decline in sales. It's all bargain basement. It lost all of its hip cool luster and 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 put put that side by side with gucci gucci has gone not barbie core but super optimistic back to basics century back to Mm -hmm. basics right and just like a little bit of a yes and this war core by comparison looks abysmal and depressing and Um, it's like uh who wants that well, that that's that's a really this is great way to end is to look at like because this I, I like to end on a positive note. So I know, yeah. yeah I so know. what you're what you're saying is great. Play a Leslie Gore song on Sunshine, yeah. Lollipops, and Rainbows. <laughs> what you're saying is really cool that there, there could be a turn towards. It's not that we want. It's not that you're saying that we should you know go back to some sort of fifties morality or something well, like you that. can't it's, right. No, no one can. But just what you're saying is certain things in fashion work well. Certain things look good on, on a male body and certain things look good on a female body. Kind of like how music, you know, 4-4 four, four time just works well, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so, and then, you know, this, the music, there's certain things in music that just work well 
that if you if you try and do dissonant atonal stuff, it's sort of like it can do something a little bit interesting <laughs> for a little bit. But if you try and base a whole kind of popular music on on John Cage or whatever, you know, this kind of whatever it is, like this sort of 30 seconds of silence, you know, these kinds of things that they did in the, in the you know, to sort of really shake things up, that won't work as the basis for a long-term sustainable form of music. The same way that all the stuff you're describing won't work. Being back the same thing that it works. So I, I think it's great that you you pointed out that we're turning a corner for the positive. Uh, and I, I want to just thank you again for instead of playing. Okay, on the uh, uh, as the um, song that goes out of this, instead of playing um, Leslie Gore's "Sunshine Lollipops and Rainbows," can you play some really dissonant uh, <laughs> modern music like? Yeah, no, well, I don't think so. So listen, thanks again. It's really, it's always a great pleasure. And just, it's my pleasure, yeah, my yeah. pleasure. All right. And I, I, I just, I really love reading your, um, your, your, your columns. I mean, they're just, that they really, and also, by the way, um, your column is going to be published in the April 1st edition of Art and Opinion. He, Rob, oh, fantastic. Rob Lewis publishes your stuff all the time. He loves your work as well. It says it's uh, great. Yeah. I love him. That's yeah. nice. He's in Mexico. He lives in Mexico in the winter, but he told me that he did the April 1st one. So if you, people can find it, Arts and Opinion, April 1st, you'll be able to see Liz's work if you can't find it on Substack. Uh, and well, tell him that um, I'm so happy he likes my work and I graciously accept a week at his Mexico home <laughs> as payment. Okay. Can I think you it'll pass be sleeping on his long? floor. <laughs> I'll hey, take it. I don't care. You're going to Jamaica. Aren't you going to Jamaica next yeah, week? Yeah, off to Jamaica next week. Man, that is so cool. Okay, maybe we should do a podcast about uh, Jamaica. Absolutely, I'd love right. to. Okay, thank you so much. Thank Jason. you, Liz. Thanks again. See you next time. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's guest on the Mega Blast Podcast. I've been your host, Jason McDonald. This podcast is brought to you by Arts and Opinion, an online journal, which is also available in the permanent archives of Canada. Visit us online at artsandopinion.com. 